In this week's episode of Theology for the People, we have a little bit of cross-pollination for you. In addition to hosting this podcast, which is my personal podcast, I also have been the host this year of the Calvary Global Network Mission and Methods podcast. It's in its third season, and one of the things we've been doing over there is kind of highlighting some of the initiatives and the theological streams of the Calvary Global Network. And one of the episodes that just came out a few weeks ago was about a program called Cultivate. So for the past few years, I have been working with Calvary Global Network to develop a program which seeks to assess, train, and deploy new church planters and missionaries. It's called Cultivate, and I'd love for you to hear about it because it's something I've put a lot of work into. It's something I'm very passionate about. It's close to my heart, and that is how can we cultivate church planting not just in the United States, but globally, and how can we use the resources and relationships God has given us in order to do that better. And so that's what this program is all about. And in this episode, I speak with Kellen Criswell, who is the former executive director of Calvary Global Network. Now his title is Global Strategist. We got together in January of 2022, and we sat in the studio and recorded 11 hours of podcast material over the course of three days it was a marathon, but it was really good. And this is one of the episodes we recorded back then. They've been being released over at the CGN Mission and Methods podcast. And we'd love for you to check that out. If you're looking for a great podcast to listen to, we cover some really good topics and answer a lot of questions that people have had about that network. So go check that out. And here is this week's episode. I'll be back at the end with some closing comments. Welcome to the CGN Mission and Methods podcast. This is Nick Cady, and I'm joined today by Kellen Criswell. Hey, Kellen. What's up, man? I'm excited to talk about today's episode because yes. it's something that you and I are both intimately involved in, yep. both in the creation of it, but I think my heart is invested in this, mm -hmm. and I think it's also something that is true to who we are yeah. as Calvary Chapel. And you're talking about water polo, right? Water polo, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, no, I I'm talking about I'm talking about church planting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, Kellen, you've you've planted churches. Yeah. I planted churches myself, and it's something that's part of our hearts, but it's also part of our legacy as Calvary Chapel. Mm -hmm. And if I think about what Calvary Chapel is, right, there's so many things that come to mind, right? When we talk about Bible teaching, mm -hmm. when we talk about missions. But a huge part of what Calvary Chapel is, is it is a church planting movement. Mm -hmm. And I, I said something similar in a previous episode in regard to something else. But, you know, Calvary Chapel has been doing church planting since before it was cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so both of us are latecomers to Calvary Chapel in the grand scheme to things. You know, we're both right on the edge of 40 here. And I think we pro probably have about 20 years of ministry experience. You haven't it, fallen over the edge yet? <laughs> we don't talk about that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> don't tell the truth of, about me to everybody. No, but you know what I'm saying. And so it's Calvary Chapel is a movement, 50 to 60 years old. Again, you know, don't quote me exactly on that, but approximately. So we are, it's, it's, it's more than twice our age in that sense. But... Yeah, and so all that to say, we've been in it for a while now. Of course, we're familiar with the history and that. And something I think about with Calvary Chapel, I think about J.D. Payne's. Uh, so J.D. Payne is a, a, a pastor, a Baptist, missiologist, 
get his stuff if you've never checked out his stuff. But he wrote a book just a couple years ago called Apostolic Church Planning. And what he's doing in there is it's interesting in the Baptist context. He's really trying to get he's like he's saying, hey, guys, let's get back to the book of Acts and plant churches how they planted churches and with their paradigm. And what he deduces from it, he basically says that what you see in Acts is evangelism and discipleship that results in churches, and that that is the basic apostolic formula or pattern, you might say, for church planning. I remember as I was reading it, I was like, it's interesting because I feel like this is what I've heard in every Calvary Chapel message, every Calvary Chapel connected book, any Chuck Smith resource from uh, the beginning of Calvary's history and certainly my history with Calvary, is this simple view of, of church planning, evangelism and discipleship that results in churches. And as you look back at the history of the Jesus movement, I think that's exactly what you see. It really, it, initially, it was this huge evangelism, just uh, explosion, no connection intended for the mm. program. <laughs> but but that's what it was. It was this, this awakening, this revival of the Holy Spirit, where people with this evangelistic spirit going out, preaching the gospel everywhere— and, and just radically effective evangelism resulting in conversions. And then as many have retold it many times over again, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa is one place where as that evangelism is occurring and being fruitful, people, are, those, those newborn Christians are showing up and being discipled. They're being taught the Bible and so on. And as that's going on, what eventually starts happening is those new converts are going out and they're creating more converts. And then communities of Christians are popping up what eventually became all over the world. And so local churches started to happen. And that's really the beginning of the—that's how Calvary Chapel became in a really a very short time in contrast to the way you see movements of churches develop around throughout the globe in church history. It was really a short time frame that this thing really just multiplied and expanded. So yeah, I think church planning, it is funny because it wasn't like Chuck Smith or anybody set out and said, we're going to plant churches, a, a revival happening, evangelism happening, and then discipleship and Bible teaching that started to create this movement of a church playing movement. So now what you and I enter into 30 years down the road, it, it you know, people talk about it like this church planning thing. And I think for us, that's ingrained in us because that had become very much mm-hmm. the norm. This is what Calvaries do. We're into evangelism and that means we're into church planning and it's happening everywhere. And so we got that spirit too. And I think a lot of guys in our generation did. And it's not just evangelism <laughs> and discipleship leads to church planting, but it's even more than that. It's also, and then those churches perpetuate that. Yes. They continue to do evangelism that yeah. is tied to discipleship and the, the place for discipleship is mm-hmm. the local church. So we need more local churches, right? And as we yeah. raised up leaders, we sent them out. And it was almost like, I remember the first time I started hearing the buzzword going around about church planting, I was like, oh, okay, is that what it's called? Because that's what we've been doing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you my first encounter with it was I came into the Lord through a friend, started going to a church, which was not called Calvary Chapel, but it was a Calvary Chapel. It was Crossroads Church of Denver in Mm -hmm. Denver. And Pastor Tom Stipe, who was old school, OG Calvary Chapel. um, I think, wasn't this the first Calvary Chapel outside of California was his church? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the first plants out of Calvary Costa Mesa, and it was the first out of state. So he was in Colorado. Anyway, so I was going to this church. And I didn't really think beyond my local church until I got invited by a friend, Pete Nelson, to go with him to a conference in Budapest, Hungary, Mm. which was for 
other churches. They happened to be turned out. They were Calvary Chapel churches in Hungary and Ukraine. Mm. And I remember as I kind of discovered just by being at this conference, okay, so this is a group of churches, and what are they doing? Well, they're sending out missionaries, they're doing evangelism, they're doing discipleship, and they're planting and proliferating churches. Yeah. And I was like, this is this is like the New Testament. Yeah. And, and not only is it the Apostle Paul going out and planting churches, one of my favorite models is the model of the Ephesian church, mm-hmm. where you see like Paul's letter to the Colossians is written to a church that was planted out of a church plant. Yeah. And so I think it's just such a beautiful New <clears throat> Testament model, and it's always been the heart of Calvary Chapel. I mean, I don't know the exact statistics, and maybe you could give us a couple numbers that help us understand just mm-hmm. how many churches have been planted through the Calvary Chapel movement. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's going to be more than currently exist today that have historically been there. But the last numbers I have seen put us right around 1,850 churches globally that bear the name Calvary Chapel formally. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, there's other churches that don't bear the name who have also exactly. been impacted. Well, and, and, and so many churches that have never been formally made part of Calvary Chapel or now CGN and, and this other expression, but still would point to mm-hmm. Calvary Chapel, specifically Costa Mesa, or churches that came out of Costa Mesa as the 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 thing that got them moving or empowered them or whatever. I mean, even, and this will bother some people, but even people like Rick Warren, as we've mentioned in other episodes— they they point back to like Rick specifically would talk about taking his his high school group to Calvary Costa Mesa to listen to Chuck Smith teach the Bible, mm-hmm. and so much of his early inspiration for everything he did was actually from Chuck Smith and Calvary Costa Mesa, and and of course now Rick is this big global effective ministry you know or he's leading those. So just to say like I think there's. That's part of the crazy complexity of it is there is Calvary Chapel, but there's a ton of people who are friends of Calvary who were inspired that we don't often make the appropriate connection between what God has done in Calvary and those things, though that's a legitimate connection to make as well. So it's really it's staggering. Yeah, and not to get us off track, but I know of a, a very large church in San Diego County. Mm-hmm. The pastor grew up attending Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa mm-hmm. and and. If you look at his Bible teaching, it is verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And then, of course, they've planted a lot of churches. So all that to say, this has been the DNA of Calvary Chapel. Now, why do we talk about that? Well, it's because as we are in the present and as we think towards the future, we want this to continue to be an integral part of who we are and and also what we do, what Mm -hmm. we're about. And so that has led to this idea for a program to assess, train, and deploy new church planters and missionaries. And I remember I got a phone call from you. I was in my office at church. I remember exactly. I was, I probably put in like 10,000 steps during that call because <laughs> I just, we talked for a long I'm time. Because I'm long-winded. <laughs> and I was walking the whole time. So yeah. um, tell me about that, that phone call and that idea and the sure. kind of impetus for this. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like part of what we're doing is we're celebrating this really cool history of Calvary Chapel, right? And I think a piece of that cool history is it wasn't just that we had an emphasis on evangelism and all this and these churches, but part of Calvary's, I think, spiritual magic, if you will, has been, um, and this, this again, will bother some, but a, a pretty low bar, 
and who's allowed to get into the ministry game, just in the sense that Calvary, I mean, we've even had an anti-intellectual reputation in the past because we don't, we, we've never required in a formal network-wide sense seminary training and stuff like that. And so we've always operated really on the conviction that God can can save and call and empower with the Spirit and gift anyone he wants to and make them effective in ministry and in church planning. And I think, honestly, that's one of the reasons why God has been able to use Calvary. And mm. And this isn't Calvary exceptionalism. We've got a lot of problems and we've got a lot to learn, and I'm going to be the first to say all that. However, there are some exceptional things about how God has used Calvary in this way, and I think that's one of the reasons why, as you look at church history. So 2,000 churches— in a movement that's, you know, 50, 60, even if we were 70 years old at this point, is extremely exceptional mm-hmm. in terms of what has happened in that time frame. And you know, leading missiologists of today, like Ed Stetzer, point this out all the time. They look to the Jesus movement and specifically the Calvary expression of that, and they'll point to it as as the in this rapid, expansive sense, not better than everyone else sense, but in the rapid expansion sense as one of the most prolific church planning movements of the entirety of church history. So all of that to say, you know, that's that's really cool. But I think one of the things that you and guys like me and you have experienced is we came into Calvary when it wasn't a revival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you couldn't, I, I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but I've often said, you know, the days of going and standing on the on the pier down at Huntington Beach and yelling, Jesus saves and having 500 people drop to their knees are over. Mm-hmm. And when where we got into the church planning game, it felt a lot more like tilling rocky soil. And, and so I think for a lot of us, we're going, okay, absent of this radical, it's just happening thing going on. Are there strategic things we should think about? Is there is there a place for training? Or with all these leaders who've come before us, how do we get access to the wisdom that they've learned over the years? How do we distill some of that? How do we get some training and support and, and to do this for today? And I think that I know for me, when I was feeling called to plant a church at 25, I'm asking those kinds of questions and I'm looking around and there was no central ministry organization with Calvary Chapel. There was no, nothing formal to really go to and, and, and get answered to the question, how do we do this? What have we learned through this time? And, and how can I, it, it, you really just had to know the right people and so on. And so out of that, to, I, I felt that way for years. And so as time has gone on and we find ourselves in a situation where we are today developing CGN and we've got some centralized things like calvarychapel.com and other stuff, I just think we've seen it as an opportunity to, to not correct the past. We are thankful for the past and we want to build on it and include it. But we have an opportunity, again, like we've said a lot, we can do a lot more together than we can do separately. We've done a lot separately. So what if we did formalize some things? What if we did create a process that took the best of what we've been, the best of what others in the in the in the kingdom of God are doing, and 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 put that together for guys like us in the past who if they're sitting around saying, I want to plant a church, Calvary's my home where do I go? We can say, hey, come to us and 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 come to our team of mentors, and you're going to get people with our Calvary background, but you're going to have this guided, kind of curated process to help you discern what God is doing in your life in the area of church planning and maybe even help catapult you on your way. So that's kind of the background to it. So I planted 
my first church when I was 21 years old. Absolutely, you're right. Like <laughs> the bar, I, I'm not sure that it was so That's much that the dangerous. bar was low <laughs> as much as it was like just there was nobody like who let me do that? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So yeah, I'll tell you who let me do it. His name was Greg Opine. Write him out. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah no, his great, name sense. was Greg Opine. <laughs> and I remember it was, it was so empowering, you know, yeah. to have somebody who believed in me, believed yes. in the work of God and the Holy Spirit. And me. Brian had done that for him at a young age. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Go ahead. And so it was just, he said, okay, go, go do it. And yeah. then tell me how it goes. Ask me if you have any questions, you know? Uh-huh. And I did. But here's the thing that I look back on, and this has been the, been true over the past, I don't know, let's say 10 years. I've looked back and I've said, wow, I think I missed an opportunity with this. If I could go back and I could do it all over, knowing what I know now, exactly, yeah, I would have done a few things differently. I feel like I left some opportunities on the table yeah. that I'm, I could have done things better. I could have done better in the way that I pastored and treated people mm-hmm. who were under my care. I could have um, done better as far as even just setting up the church and not having to learn everything the hard way, like like creating the wheel, you know, from mm-hmm. scratch. What would have been nice is could me now have spoken into the life of me almost 20 years ago? Well, the answer is, of course, that's what everybody wishes they had. Yeah. But in a network, you can actually get some of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can actually talk to the guy who's 20 years down the road. And of course, these things existed in the past, right? I did have Greg there, but I also didn't have a system that was set up yeah. uh, and developed and curated to help me do that. Yeah. And I, and again, I think we really have a heart. Like that's the, the uh, relational thing you're describing still is happening in Calvary and we want it to continue. And there's nothing subpar about that. That's that's amazing. But there's a lot of guys, again, who are like, I was, I didn't know anybody. I, didn't, I wasn't friends with Brian Broderson. I wasn't friends with Greg Opine. I just believed in what I saw in this movement that I was becoming acquainted with really through literature. And I thought, man, like I'm in, I think, but I like, I want to plant a church though. So how do we do that? And to give guys like that something that they can go to when they lack that personal connected relationship as a means to, you know, assess what's going on inside of them and, and what God might be doing, I think is, is one of the important pieces of why we want to do something like this. And then, and then also again, like there, we, we still maintain God can call and empower and gift and send anybody, whether they have any kind of formal or non-formal training or not. But again, some some of us just want it. Mm-hmm. We just want to have it. You know, we just want to take that opportunity. We, we think of ourselves as lifelong learners. It's like, why wouldn't I go? I, mean, I was talking to a, a friend who's a church planner in Spain this just recently, and he was, he's been through like two or three of these training kinds of programs. And it's not because he's a wuss. It's mm-hmm. because he's smart and he, and he wants to keep learning. And so I just think, why wouldn't we do mm-hmm. some, something like that, you know? Yeah, so let's describe the program <laughs> and what the idea is behind it, maybe how it's, how it's unique. Yeah. I'll tell you, as having been involved with creating the program, of course, we mm-hmm. did it together. Yeah. But um, I know that what we were doing was not trying to say, let's create a program that does something that other programs don't do. I think we came at it from the approach of saying, what would actually be most helpful and most flexible to meet all of these various needs mm-hmm. so that we can really, truly come alongside and yeah. help. And so what we've created kind of has three parts, assessment, training, and deployment. Mm -hmm. 
Now within those, of course, we're trying to train towards three things, head, hands, and heart, Mm -hmm. right? So the theoretical knowledge in the head, the heart relationship with God, Mm -hmm. and then the practical, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. and the practical knowledge that comes from doing things. Yeah. So that's how we've gone about this. Now, I think the assessment part is really, really noteworthy Mm -hmm. because I think that's maybe, you know, and this gets to something you said earlier. One of the strengths of Calvary Chapel in the past was empowerment Mm -hmm. and belief in the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so one of the concerns would be, well, if now we're assessing people for church planting, Uh are we going to lose that? Are we going to weed out some people who like God wanted to use. Yeah. And and it could be, but we've also, it's also not gone well to not have the assessment as well, you know? Mm-hmm. But to me on that particular question, I would just say to the Calvary person, if you're a Calvary minded Calvary background, or even if you're not, that's just the, the way that you think. One of our key core values as CGN that we have carried over from our rich heritage of Calvary Chapel is the value of biblical literacy and an, a strong emphasis on conservative bibliology. We want to derive our theology and our praxis in everywhere that we can from the scriptures, right? So one of the things I think is interesting on this point is I've heard a lot of my Calvary friends express skepticism over the idea of assessment in such a way. And it makes no sense to me because most of these guys have taught First Timothy and Titus. Mm. <laughs> so to me, I didn't get the idea for assessment from uh, Acts 29 or New Tribes or Ark or any of these other groups. I was just being a Calvary guy reading, well, we just teach the Bible, right? I, I, and I remember when we were in Utah and I started a school of ministry because I guess that's what Calvary people are supposed to do, right? And all that was is getting together with like 20 guys on Saturday morning. And I thought, well, these books are called the pastoral epistles, which I don't think they should be called. But anyway, I was like, that's what they're, we call them. So we'll just go through those. They're like the training manuals, right? And then you come to 1 Timothy 3 and you come to Titus 1. And what you have is Paul the Apostle talking to these overseers, elders, pastors, whatever you want to call Timothy and Titus. And he tells them, here's a criteria that I want you to take. And I want you to, to, to select men and run them through this criteria and determine who is God called Christ charactered, if you will, and fit to serve in leadership in churches. If that is not a explicit biblical mandate to assess as God's, to use assessment as a means of God to identify and called people to serve in this way, I don't know what it is. So mm-hmm. to me, assessment is a biblical thing to do strongly, and we just got to do it right. I think the other part of it that I often tell people in regard to the assessment, in fact, I say the assessment <clears throat> is, is one of the very most valuable parts of this. Mm-hmm. And here's why, is because... There's several reasons, but one of them is nobody knows what their blind spots are. That's why they're blind spots. Yep. If I was to ask you, hey, what are, what are your blind spots? You say, <laughs> how would I know? Exactly. Right? And so it's kind of the nature of being blind to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. So when I, when I first lived in Hungary, I lived with this other guy. His name was Pishti. And we lived in this apartment and we didn't own anything. Like mm-hmm. literally, I owned a mattress that someone gave me. And that was all. In fact, I didn't even have curtains. I used to hang my clothes um, on hangers on these pipes that hung out of the wall. And because I didn't have curtains, the sun would 
would shine across my clothes <laughs> and it bleached my clothes at like a diagonal nice. angle. Yeah. <laughs> So, Got the fade. <laughs> yeah. We also didn't have a shower curtain, but the other thing we didn't have was we didn't have a mirror, which is kind of ridiculous because it turns out it's not very hard it's to buy a mirror. probably good if you don't got a shower curtain. <laughs> yeah, right? So literally, this is how we got by for several weeks before we just said, oh, okay, let's go spend a few dollars on a mirror, is that we would, we would just like get ourselves ready and uh-huh. then have the other guy look at us and say, how do I look? <laughs> Like, help me fix my hair, right? It's a lot of trust. Yeah, right. And so, so I kind of think that that's that idea of like, look at me and tell me what you see is really important. It's really helpful. I think that many of us could probably use that help, you know, when it comes to dressing ourselves and doing lots of things. But yeah, this is, you know, teach and admonish one another, uh, correct one another. There's all these commands that I think at the root of them, they, they, they really reveal the truth that none of us are as self-aware as we think we are, mm. and we need others to see in us things that we don't see. And to the degree that you don't think that's true about you is to the degree that you're really showing how much you need it. <laughs> you know right. I mean? So, yeah. The other, so assessment does that. It, other, it helps with that. Yeah, and the other part of the assessment that I think differentiates this program from some of the others that I've I've gotten to know, because that was a big part of this, was mm-hmm. a lot of research about what other groups do and what we can learn from them, best practices and ideas. Some of the best help I got in this was from the SEND group at Wheaton mm-hmm. and a guy named Daniel Yang for those yeah. out there who yeah. might know send, him. SEND Network, huh? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were great. So Daniel had said, you know, you ought to do an assessment that includes a few parts. And so actually we took Daniel's advice and that's how we came up with what we came up with. But mm-hmm. what makes this assessment unique is that we're not assessing for network membership. So in, right. a, in a lot of assessments, that's what they're assessing for. Mm-hmm. Are you a good fit for our network? Now, part of our assessment does do that. Mm-hmm. Like that's what the pre-assessment part is, which we created ourselves, which says, hey, is this the right network for you? And right. are you a right candidate for us to work with? Um, but the other part is when we really get into the heart of the assessment – we're trying to find out what are your strengths, what are your areas of growth, what are, what are the areas where we don't need to train you, mm-hmm. and what are the areas where you really need some help. And so the assessment is not to qualify you or disqualify you as much as it is to say, how can we best serve you individually? How yeah. can we create a curated mm-hmm. program for you? Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, I've as we've run the pilot program of this for the last year, I've gotten to know we've had about a dozen or so guys go through it. And I've had everything from I have one guy in Colorado. He's a nurse and Mm -hmm. he's going through it. He's planting a church in his home. And, you know, he hasn't ever um, run a church, much less any organization or Mm -hmm. business or anything like that. So he needs help on that end, but he also hasn't had any theological training. He hasn't been to Bible college. He sat in good Bible teaching churches, so he's had it modeled. And yet there are some some points on the theology where he can use some help. So we mm-hmm. look at a guy like that and, and we create a program based around him. On the other hand, I have another guy in the program who was a executive pastor at a large church in California, moved halfway across the country, and he's planting a church. So as far as the operation of a church goes, he gets that. Mm-hmm. Even even when it comes to raising up and training leaders, yep. that's stuff that he does all day long. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, when we do the theological evaluation, we say, okay, you know, he's doing pretty well, but he he could afford to 
have a little more training in this or that area or in this topic or that topic. Now, on the other hand, we have people who have been to Bible college or even in some cases seminaries, Mm -hmm. and they're just, they're great when it comes to theological accuracy. Yep. And yet that doesn't mean that they're necessarily good communicators. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily good (gasps) pastors. Mm -hmm. And so we want to suss those things out so that we can say, okay, we are ready to come alongside you and we're ready to train you in a way that's curated just for you. And there are a few ways that we do that. Maybe you could take it from here. Yeah, no, I I mean, I just, there's, there's a lot going on in my head, but I, I just, I'm obviously I'm on board with what you're saying. So, yeah, with this whole thing, I mean, just as, even as a principle for discipleship, like in to see somebody serving in a local church context, one of the things that I'm always saying, I look at Ephesians 4, and, you know, Ephesians 4 talks about how Christ has given these gifts of spirit-gifted leaders to the church to build so that the church can become matured through their ministry, and that each joint supplying what Christ has designed it to supply can work together so that collectively we grow up to this mature expression of the person of Jesus as a local community, right? And what's—so the thing about that with for me is, like, what that's saying is Jesus has his own— design and intended purpose for every single member in the body of Christ that he wants to get filled. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at the local church, a lot of times when we think about people participating in the local church in the ministry, really, if we're honest, what most of us as pastors are doing is we're like, look, we've got a vision and we need warm bodies to fill Mm -hmm. holes to get our vision done. And that's terrible, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it is, it is kind of where we're coming from. And so one of the things I'm always saying is like, that's not what we're doing. When we're developing a training process, assessment process anywhere, our goal is to help people discern what Christ is calling them to do, whether it fits with our vision or not. We, it's just, our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry that he has designed them to play. So same thing here with Cultivate, like you're saying, when we develop this process, part of what I was thinking, so number one, then we want it to be clear, and Brian is always saying this, that CGN through Cultivate, it's not that CGN as the org is planting churches. CGN through Cultivate is coming alongside the local church to send people to plant churches by filling holes and being a support for mentorship and biblical knowledge and, and different things like that. So that's that's one thing. And as we sought to develop the program, I think some of the stuff we talked about, Nick, was we wanted to kind of bring together some of the best pieces of formal seminary training and mentor-based training and this relationship kind of orientation that we've had as CGN for a long time and put all those pieces together in service to the local church as the local church is assessing and training and sending, right? And then part of the one of the principles that come out of that too, like you've been saying, is when you think of a training curriculum or a process— I, I fully believe this, that there are some things that we all need. And so we're all going to go through the course on Christology, right? Everyone needs that in, in a sense. You know, we need to make sure that we're tight there. But there are some things, depending on who's going through process, that only they need. And I think that that's what you're speaking to. It's like, well, actually, I've got a PhD in theology, and mm-hmm. so I'm good. It's like, okay, we're not going to make you read seven systematic theology books then. We'll assess that to yeah. make sure you're good. But what you really need, man, is like you want to plan a church 
in a in a intercultural context, and you have no intercultural ministry experience whatsoever. So let's find a resource for you and a mentor for you who can help you walk through the realities of that and your fitness for it and assess your gifts for it and everything else. So yeah, very much a, a customizable program in that sense is is what we've sought to develop, and I think I think we're I think we're hitting it. Cool. And yeah, just to reiterate what it is, and um, I said this in the intro, but I'll say it again here, which is just that, so Cultivate is an intentional training program. It is very much relationally based, and it's what you would also think of as as an internship or a residency. Yeah. So it's something that takes place in the local church, and we, we call it Cultivate, so we're using this language of is this agriculture? Yeah, it's like gardening? agricultural. Yeah, yeah. It be, because again, we don't we don't want to do this. We're not manufacturing church planners. We're helping you discern what God is or isn't doing in mm-hmm. your life. And so, like we've talked about this, what are the expected outcomes <laughs> that for somebody who goes through this? And it, I think our answer is well, it really depends. Mm-hmm. I think some people are going to go through this, and at the end of it, we're going to say you are definitely called to play this particular role in the work of church planning. Others, we might go through it and say, you know, that could be, but through the assessment and the relationship with your local church ministry and perhaps your spouse and your CGN mentor, we've really identified some character areas for you that we think the best thing is you just keep going to church and and maybe we can direct you towards some things to cultivate some stronger character in some areas. Other people, it's going to be, you know, we believe in you. We believe in this calling. We believe in your team. And God's put it on your heart to go to this area of the world where uh, CGN has a strategic focus, mm-hmm. and you can even apply to be considered for sponsorship funds because we have an initiative devoted to that. So there's a variety of outcomes, but it's really rooted in that principle that, again, we're not creating church planners, we're not ordaining, we're working with the church, the local church, to assess the people they're sending. And because it's assessment and it's relational and it's spiritual, there's a variety of possible outcomes, but we're just trusting that the Lord is going to use this process and these relationships and the partnership between CG and the org and the local church to bring truly called, capable, ready people to the surface to be sent out in tandem through this kind of partnership. Yeah, I think that's so important to emphasize that partnership, that this is not us trying to pull people away or come and impose something. This is rather... For the church that says, we've got a guy, he seems like he's called and gifted. How do we how do yeah. we help this guy's calling? Like, how do yes. we help him be prepared so that we don't just say, I don't know, just go out and rent an apartment and gather some people or something, right? Like, how do we go beyond that? Yeah. And, and so this is something that the local church can use. One example I like to give is that, so I live in Colorado, our area on the east side at the foothills of the Rockies. So basically from Cheyenne, Wyoming, all the way down to Pueblo, Colorado is called the Front Range. Now, the Front Range is kind of the, the urban corridor, if you look on a map. And so the Front Range is made up of a bunch of communities. And as pastors on the Front Range, like we understand the the geography. We also know that there are cities where as Calvary chapels, you know, we would say, where should there be a Calvary Chapel? Where would we like there to be a mm-hmm. Calvary Chapel? Where do we believe that God would want us to plant next? And I could rattle off a few few of those cities. So here's the idea. that If somebody wanted to come and plant on the front range, the idea of working together as a network could look like this, where we say, hey, rather than you just like moving there on your own with no connection to anybody, what if you got involved in this program and as a network, 
you came to one of our, we might call them hub churches, Mm -hmm. and you did your residency or your internship, this Cultivate program, locally at that church. And, and, you know, as you're in that church, then you can begin scouting out that area or praying over a couple different areas where you might move to. And over the course of eight or nine months, you're in that context, you're getting to know the culture of the area, the geography, you're getting plugged in, and it gives you a little bit of time to catch your breath, also to build some relationships and have a church home base Mm -hmm. while you're going through the training part after the assessment. And that training part is going to be mostly online, but some of it might be in person as well. And then at the end of that, of course, there's kind of a culminating Mm -hmm. assessment, reassessment, kind of a statement that says, as you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. here's what we see God is doing. And that might lead to deployment. It might lead to something else, as you described. But I think that having that kind of description kind of helps people to really put some handles on this. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, too, about the, the, the church leader out there. I think there's a lot of church leaders who haven't planted churches themselves. Maybe they've been raised up into a, a senior leadership role by the person who established a church before them or something. And even so they, they lack the experience of church planning, but they have a heart for it. And maybe they also lack, you know, I would say kind of that apostolic pioneer gifting as well. Maybe they're more just strictly shepherd teacher types. And so they're not, they don't feel wired for it. They've never done it, but they believe in church planning and they've got people around them who they think have this potential calling in their life. And they want to do all they can to empower that person and encourage that person. But again, maybe they feel like they lack some experience or even wiring for that. And they're thinking, what can I use to encourage these people that I see called the plant around me? And I think that that's, that's another thing we would like to see cultivate become to, to leaders like that is, again, because it's not even just that, like pastors are busy. You know, pastors of existing churches, a lot of times they don't think they have the margin to put the focused energy at the level that's necessary to encourage somebody like that. So Cultivate is a program where we've got leaders who have the experience of church planting, who have that kind of apostolic pioneer wiring because of that. And they're also saying, hey, we're going to take the time. So again, it's it's very much a supplemental to the church, the the local Mm -hmm. church picture. How can we come in? understand who the leadership is, understand who they're believing in, and then walk with them in a partnership between the CGN Cultivate mentors and the local church leadership, and if there's a spouse that's involved and so on, and how can that group come together to create this tailor-made opportunity for training and assessment and potentially deployment. Yeah. Yeah, so we have been running a pilot program of this. There are people who've gone through it. That was kind of our version of like, hey, let's put some wheels on this thing, push it down the road and see what falls off. And that has helped us to kind of hone it and get it better. But the goal is to launch it in its full form soon. Mm -hmm. So, Kellen, if people want more information or if maybe they're listening to this after the program has gone fully live, how can they get involved? Yeah, we'll definitely go calvaryglobalnetwork.com. We've got uh, a link there with information about the current status of Cultivate. And that's certainly where we're going to be publishing future information. And we'll have our applications for participation and all of that on Calvary Global Network as well. And then if you're not following us, uh, Calvary Global Network on Instagram and Facebook and so on, signing up for our our newsletters and our emails, you can do that. You can reach out to uh, cgn at calvarychapel.com if you want to be on the newsletter. Those are all good things to do just to make sure that you're as up to speed as readily as possible as new information comes out. But yeah, we're I think 
both you and I, Nick. So, you know, I, I kind of got the initial vision for this together and then you and I started working together and we expanded it together and have been tweaking it. And you've really taken the majority of the heavy lifting and pulling the right pieces together and so on. And so you got a lot of skin in this game. You've, you've been the, the lead in these relationships with all the pilot participants. And so I know that both you and I would like to say to each other, by fall 2022, with all of God's grace, this is going to be fully public and launched and and, uh, and ready to go. Well, may God use this to see more churches planted, more disciples made, and more of the gospel preached. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Theology for the People, and make sure to go and check out the CGN Mission and Methods podcast as well. New episodes are released every two weeks over there, and uh, we're about halfway through season three. I think there are about six more episodes to be released as of this episode coming out, and so excited for you to hear more episodes over there. Tune in next week. I'll be back with you again for the next episode of the Theology for the People podcast. God bless you.